At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one, with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non toxic, non flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. Nice Job can help you get the reputation you deserve. Nice Job's automated reputation marketing tools are easy to use and super effective. Collect two to three times more customer reviews and have the ability to share that social proof where it matters most. New signups can get $50 off when they mention the HVAC Know-It-All podcast. If you're looking to grow your small business, visit NiceJob at NiceJob.com. This podcast is sponsored by The Master Group. They carry a ton of Malco products, which is great for sheet metal. Sheet metal tools that are quality products. Now, I want to gather some more of these products to do some more demos of sheet metal tools because I want to get more into that and learn more of that. I've always been a service guy, never really a sheet metal tin banger type installer. It was more like piping and and mini splits and VRFs and VRVs and stuff like that. But anyway, look for more Malco stuff coming from the Master Group in demo videos. Check out master.ca. Welcome back, guys. I'm at home today. It's Saturday. I'm just finishing this podcast up. So no HVACing today, but Lots of housework, and I'm about to clean some baseboards. Yay, fun. <laughs> anyway, we got Alex Meany. Alex was a former trainer of the WrightSoft uh, software where you can do some design for HVAC, like load calcs and stuff like that. All right, now we're going to talk to Alex, and the whole goal when talking to Alex, when, when I reached out to him originally, was to talk about load calcs from start to finish. Now, we kind of went down this rabbit hole, and we didn't really get to that but we talked about load calcs and equipment selection and how important they are so you can consider that your introductory to load calcs and equipment selection and and the reasons why we should be doing it so alex also has a new venture that he's starting he reveals that in the podcast we wanted to wait until or he wanted to wait until ahr was over to get the word out because that's when he was launching his new venture so let's get to alex great conversation very knowledgeable guy. This is the HVAC Not All Podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. Welcome to the HVAC Know It All Podcast. Recorded from a basement somewhere in Toronto, Canada. Your host and HVAC tech, Gary McCready, will take you on a deep dive into the industry discussing all things HVAC. From storytelling to technical discussion. Enjoy the show. All right, so we should probably let the audience know, Alex, that you've self-admitted to me that you're a wind-up toy and, and you can just go for hours on this subject. <laughs> and um, if I have to butt in, I'm not being rude, audiences, because we, we've, we've, we've had a pre-discussion about how uh, I might need to do that because Alex is very passionate about what we're going to talk about. Right, Alex? Yeah, yeah, you, you do have to somehow sometimes uh, throw the roadblocks up for me because I will, I will get up ahead of steam. So we're going to talk about residential load calcs, but maybe you should give an intro of yourself and this new venture that you're that you're heading heading down. Sure. Yeah. Um, 
So I'm uh, I'm I'm Alex Meany now of meanhvac.com. Um prior to uh let's see like the end of December of uh, 2021 uh I was the uh trainer for uh Rightsoft, which is the uh I think it's still fair to say uh, I'm not collecting a paycheck from those guys anymore but the the industry leader in in HVAC design uh, particularly in residential. Uh, and so I've been teaching people how to do, uh, HVAC design for close to 20 years. Not quite. It was like 18 and change, uh, by the time I, I stepped away, uh, and I stepped away because, um, well, well, uh, Rightsoft was purchased by a, uh, well, a very large company, uh, my tech who is in turn owned by Berkshire Hathaway. So we're talking Warren Buffett stuff. Yep. Um, and well, they, they wanted to use my talents such as they are, uh, for some, some slightly more profitable ventures. And I wanted to continue to train HVAC contractors. It's a, it's, I just love it. Uh, and, uh, so we had some different ideas about what I should be doing with my time. And so, uh, I left so I can get back to, back to doing, I actually haven't taught a class in about nine or 10 months. And it's, uh, I've got an itch. <laughs> <laughs> are these so, classes yeah. online or are they, are they, uh, or in person? <clears throat> uh, so for, for a very long time, they were all in person. Uh, and then COVID came around and, uh, we obviously had to go to, to online training and it turns out we should have been doing online training from like, as soon as the technology was adopted, um, we would, we, we teach or, or, or I used to teach, uh, a two day class on how to design a residential system from load calc to equipment selection to duct design. And uh, we only ever had one consistent piece of negative feedback. This class should be longer, right? The most, yeah. the most common most common phrase I would hear is it's like drinking from a fire hose, right? Um, and so <clears throat> uh, going to an online setting allowed us to do a couple of things. It allowed us to uh, stretch out the class over several days, a couple hours a day. Yep. Uh, so there wasn't that that mental fatigue. Some people would just literally run out check of steam. Out. Check yeah. out, yeah. And toward the end of the second day, it was just like, oh, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Um, and, uh, you know, you, can, you could refer back to it because you can record this stuff, right? So... My my plan here, uh, uh, we are we're currently recording this, um, you know, mid January, and uh, I've I've kindly asked that we not release this until uh, sometime in February because I'm still still building this out. Um, but my plan is to uh, create some high quality pre recorded material on HVAC design, uh, so load calcs, duct design, equipment selection, all that fun stuff, uh, because the basics. There's a, there's a lot, right? There's a lot to it. Um, and if I met the major demand of, uh, HVAC contractors out there, it's all I would be doing, right? It's just teaching the same fundamental manual J, you know, or, or F280 and, you know, uh, equipment selection, duct design, all that stuff. Um, and there are a lot of people who get to the point where they, they know the basics of that and they want next level help. Uh, and so the goal is going to be, all right, you want to learn the basics? Go watch these videos. Here's a you know, get a subscription. Um, go watch this highly produced stuff, and uh, that'll teach you the basics. And then 
come and attend uh, regular live stream events and ask, you know, specific weird questions about like what to do with, you know, open to above areas and, you know, whatever, whatever the thing might be um, and, and, and be able to do that and to be able to work with uh, uh, customers who want the, the one-on-one -on -one time. Uh, a big, <laughs> a big reason uh, I wanted to do it this way uh, and I'm all, I'm already having a little bit of a problem with this is people will reach out to me like on Facebook or however they know me with a question and I don't want to have to charge them to answer it. I just, I just want to be able to answer the questions. It's like, uh, it's, uh, I don't want to be a consultant who has to monetize every second of his day. Uh, and so, uh, I'm, I'm hoping to get this going where people can just pay this thing and and, uh, you know, watch all of the available material and just keep adding to it and making it more valuable. Uh, and then be able to make myself available to them. You got a simple question, fire it at me. I'll give you a simple answer. So they're going to put uh, you on retainer pretty much. <laughs> sort of. Well, actually <laughs> yeah. two people have already done that. Oh, have they? And like, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I, like I said, I, I don't want to be, uh, you know, every person who wants an answer to a simple question. Uh, or what might be simple to me, right? Like, you know, I've been doing the same damn thing for 20 years. Um, I, I, you know, I want to be able to just answer it and not say, you know, that'll be 150 bucks. Um, now look, you want some time one-on-one -on -one and like set up the zoom call and do the screen share and all that. Yeah. You're going to pay for that. But like, you know, you just got a question. All right, fine. You want to throw something on Facebook post. I don't want to be like, contact me for, you know, <laughs> yeah. for, for help on this. Right. Like, yeah. you know, like here's an answer. Um, yeah, I, I see, I see a good way to do that. I see this consulting thing, uh, being a, a part of the future of the industry. Cause the people with real knowledge really, it, it's hard for them to be online, just answering everybody's question all of the time. Because mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, like, the questions I get, I would say I can only answer maybe about 10% of them because I get these crazy questions about uh, proprietary equipment and codes and how would I decipher this and that. And I'm like, man, I've never worked on that before. I, I don't know, right? So, I mean, the, the, the niche that you're in is load calculations and people that need to know that will go to the specific person with that knowledge. And yeah, you can create a business out of being a consultant for anybody that wants to, to, to sign up. But I, I'm going to ask you more about that in a bit. What I'd like to do for the audience here is go through some basic stuff when we're calculating a load of a residential uh, home or property. And I think we should start out with why it's important to do this, first of all, rather than, and we talked about rules of thumb with uh, Dr. Allison Bales there last week, and, and why maybe we shouldn't use a rule of thumb to size equipment. Now here, I'll just, I'll just throw this at you here. A lot of people size equipment when it comes to AC, the AC side anyway, is that, um, it's a, it's basically one ton per thousand square foot. So if you have a, a 2000 square foot home, most likely you're getting a two ton unit. I mean, a lot of the times it works, but maybe sometimes it doesn't. So rules of thumb, what do you think? And, and why are load calcs important? All right. Well, rules of thumb are obviously, massively inaccurate, right? Uh, especially when you consider how much the building industry has changed in the last 30 years, right? Um, we were doing largely the same thing for 
eh, about a hundred years or so. And then we started to realize that fuel wasn't infinite and free and we need to do something to keep from uh, uh, running out of it or not having enough money for it. Uh, so we, we did a crazy thing and, and tried to keep the heat inside the house. Um, <clears throat> and as we learned better and better ways of doing that, uh, the, the rules of thumb started to, to morph. Uh, now we, we took a slow sort of steady approach to it for a little while, but then things started to accelerate. And, uh, these days, uh, the, the rules that we based it on yesterday are going to change, uh, tomorrow. Uh, and one of the best way, particularly up North, right. Particularly in Canada, one of the best ways to conserve energy is going to be to tighten up your home. Right. Uh, because, uh, the most, one of the most significant, probably the most significant contributing factor to, uh, how much heating or heating you need, uh, is the amount of outside air that gets into the house because it has such a huge temperature differential. Yeah. Right. Um, yep. on cooling, it's not as bad. Now, if you go down South where humidity is a big issue, uh, now it's, it's really bad for a completely different reason. It's not about the bulk. It's not about the number, uh, and how big it is. It's about, that's where all the moisture is coming from. Right. Um, but but up north, it's it's literally it's where all the energy goes. Right. Because, you know, that heated air leaves your house. That's all gone. Um, all that energy is wasted. And so we tighten up and we tighten up and we tighten up and we tighten up. And when we do that, we are we're recirculating a lot of the air that just sort of stays in the house. And, and um, the, uh, you know, humidity that might have been sort of cycled through and that's that's now trapped inside the house. Right. Like. The the the, um, uh, the other part of that that's significant is the smaller and smaller we make the number. This gets a little nerdy here, but a piece of advice I I always have for people when you want to when you want to evaluate uh, something numerical when it comes to pretty much anything HVAC energy whatever you want to do whenever you're evaluating something numerical um, it's good to frame it uh, in the percentage difference, right? So the, the, the engineering nerdy types will call it the Delta. Um, <clears throat> so because there can be large numbers that really aren't that big a deal, right? A thousand sounds like a pretty big number. A thousand BTUs well, is not tiny, but when you're sizing a heating system, it's, it's not that significant a number. Uh -huh. Um, you, you, you start talking static pressure. I know the conversation's about loads, but it's a really good example of a small number. You start talking about, you know, 0.05 inches of, of static pressure differential um, between, a, you know, this filter and that filter. 0.05 sounds like a tiny number. Well, if the external static pressure rating of your fan is 0 0.5, 0 0.05 is 10%, right? 10% yeah. sounds like a much bigger deal than 0 0.05, right? Yeah. Um, and so, as the load on the building gets smaller, the you can now have like so. So if I'm starting off with a a three ton, right, and I and I cut it by by half a ton, uh, I I am reducing that. Oh, now I have to do the math. Uh, let's see. So I'm reducing that by sixteen percent. That's a sixteen percent reduction in. Uh, the performance of the system and the BTUs that the air conditioner absorbs when you go from three down to two and a half. If you're going from two down to one and a half, it's a 25% difference, right? It's, 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 it's almost double the amount of, of Delta. It's almost 
twice as much. And what this is going to be is uh, half as much runtime, right? No, not half as much, excuse me, a quarter as much, uh, three quarters as much uh, runtime. Um, And that is significant, right? The smaller and smaller we make things, the bigger the difference is between our options. And that means the bigger the difference is in results, right? I am not suggesting that if something needs a three ton uh, or two and a half ton, we should throw a three ton in it. Not suggesting that at all. What I am saying though, is if you have something that needs a two and a half ton and you put a three ton in it, there is a certain amount off that you are. It's not the same amount as when you put a two ton in something that needs a one and a half, mm-hmm. right? It's actually half as different when you're yeah. going from one and a half to two than when you're going from two and a half to three or three to, 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 to two and a half. You're, you're, you're just blowing everybody's minds right now. They're trying to do the math in their head. They're like, what's going on here? So, so <laughs> long story short, um, our, our products don't follow a percentage increment. Our products come in uh, 6,000 BTU increments, 10, 10, uh, 10 or 20,000 BTU increments, usually 20 um, all the way up and down the line, right? Up until you get to four ton, you know, then it jumps to five. Um, but the, so the size of the jump seems fixed. It's always 6,000 BTUs, but in terms of how much, um, runtime you're going to be getting from that machine, uh, there's a huge difference, right? When you go from the, uh, second to largest thing to the largest thing, it's, it's not that big a deal right? When you go from the smallest to the next largest, there's a huge difference there, right? It's, it's 33% more to go from one and a half to two ton, right? It's like less than 15% going from three and a half to four, right? So off by half a ton doesn't mean squat, right? When you're talking about runtime, it has to do with percentages. And when you are off by 30%, you're off by kind of a lot when you're off by 10%, you're, you're not. Yeah. Um, and so as we push now, part of this is something that manufacturers probably start adapting to, right? Cause our buildings are calling for less and less, um, uh, cooling, uh, and heating and having more granular options. Like look at the mini split world. They don't work in 6,000 BTU increments. They couldn't, right? When you're down that low, 6,000 BTUs is, you know, it's like a hundred percent difference down uh, from the smallest mini split to the next one up. If you went in six thousand BTU increments, uh-huh. they use smaller increments and and are more granular. Um, so <clears throat> because we are pushing in that direction, uh, the the finer details uh, get get more uh, become more important. They become more significant. Uh, <clears throat> so, I mean, because you can talk about like you can talk about the obvious other things, right? What the problems with short cycling are like, I'm sure you talked about that. I, I'm sorry. I didn't, I tried to make time to listen to your interview with uh, Dr. Bales, but we, we didn't talk about short cycling with him, but we've, we talked, we, we've talked about short cycling in the past with, with like oversized equipment. I actually talked to Nate Adams about that and I gave him, I think mm. it was Nate that I gave the, the, uh, the example of this server room that I worked in, it had like a 30, ton, I think it was a 30 ton, 20 or 30 ton. I can't remember. Um, it, it was either one of those two sizes. Uh, it was a server room unit. And this thing would literally run for 
a couple of minutes shut off, run, uh, run for a couple of minutes shut off because it was way oversized for the room. And it actually had unloaders to step down the compressors and it was running down as low as it could at 25%. It was still short cycling because the unit was way too big for the, the application. Yeah. Um, and in a, in a isolated room like that, that hopefully does not have uh, a significant amount of outside air tied to it. Yeah, they're they're pretty they're, tight server rooms. The the good built the the well built ones are are supposed to be built uh, with vapor barrier tight everything, right? Yeah, and and that actually it's it's not it's not okay. It's not okay to be short cycling like that. No, but that's that's almost a best case scenario. Right? Yeah, uh, because you're not going to have a lot of uh, you know moisture being introduced or. Um, there aren't different areas of that where the, uh, uh, the temperature swing would start to come into play. Like that's, I mean, it's, it's tons of wear and tear on the equipment. And I mean, there's a million reasons you don't want that. It's a terrible thing. Um, but if you scale that up to something, the size of an entire building, oh my God, it gets so much worse. Right. Um, so I, I, I talked a little bit of, of a circle here, partly because, in far northern climates, if you're being honest, you are playing a slightly lower stakes game than you might be, say, in Austin, Texas or Louisiana or Florida, because the most significant problem, probably financially, but also health wise, which is those two are very closely tied together um, and, and comfort wise are the um, humidity effects of a short cycle. Those are the, that's the, that's, that's where it will hit you the hardest. Um, and in order to have that, you A, need to be in a humid climate and B, kind of have sustained hours um, that will, that will create that environment, right? You go somewhere where you've got 200 cooling hours and you've oversized the system. They're not going to be, miserable like they would be if they lived in Austin, Texas, right? Now, if you undersize their, their heating system, yeah, they might be. Um, but, uh, so, so, so I've, I've, uh, uh, gone back on my little mental promise to myself and gone and said it, which is fine because that's not the only problem short cycling creates, right? Uh, temperature swing issues are a big one. Right. In order to keep an even temperature in a building, you want the air moving around. What's the best way for the air to be moving around? Uh, running the fan, right? Running the unit. Um, and uh, we have a solution for that when a heating system isn't running enough, right? We go to continuous fan. You go to continuous fan on a cooling system, you start blowing water off the coil. You start yeah, re-evaporating yeah. all that water. Yeah. Um, and it, it's gonna it's gonna be detrimental to comfort, right? Also, not for nothing. Um, when you are, uh, having the most difficult time, uh, heating the sun's down, right? So when the air condition, I mean the, the furnace or the boiler or whatever, the heating system, the heat pump is doing its job at its like most important time of the day. Uh, the heat loss is pretty consistent, right? For the amount of exposure that you have, you're going to have a pretty predictable amount of heat loss when you're cooling and you're trying to remove heat from the building, one of the single most significant sources, and ultimately the source of that heat is the sun, right? And, and 
don't email me to explain how uh, the the solar system works. I'm well aware, but I I like to say the sun is moving in the sky, right? And so want to talk about temperature swing issues, right? There's a natural built-in temperature swing to every cooling load, assuming you have windows, right? And so it's that much more important that we get these systems to run as much as possible, right? And that much more significant in terms of creating worse uh, um, hot and cold spots in the house when we aren't getting that runtime uh, and the, the air is stagnating, right? Because naturally, one side of the building is hot, the other side of the building is cool. Next, next thing you know, the other side of the building is hot and the first side of the building is cool. If you're not mixing your air constantly, that's just the default position of pretty much any building that's got windows on all four sides. Yeah, uh, uh, makes makes a lot of sense, man. Just the longer run times will create that that mix of air and and prevent the 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 swings in temperature. It makes a lot of sense. So that's why load calculations need to be done properly. Is because we've got to count in the, the sun and, and it's swinging around, maybe from the front to the back or the east to the west or something like that, right? Like. Um, when we start these things, when we start these projects, why are so many projects not done with load calcs if this is such an important thing to do? Oh, so, <laughs> oh, no, 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 that's, yeah, that's a, there's a lot of answers to that question. Right? Is it, is it because it's for, from your, depends. from your experience, let, let me ask you this, let me ask you this, yeah. because this is what a lot of people the feedback I get from a lot of people is that the customer does not want to pay for a load calc. Is this that one of the number one reasons? Um, a little bit, right? This is, this is where I diverge from, uh, some of the, uh, circles that we share, um, uh, on social media. Uh, I am of the opinion that a load calculation is the cost of doing business in a, in a system, certainly should, in a, in a new be. building should be and and yeah and in a, in a replacement job like it just that is it's it's your insurance right it's literally your insurance right you've got to pay your insurance premiums that's called overhead put that in overhead right being able to do a load calculation spending the time to do that that's overhead right should be built into the price it almost because... should be it almost should be code in a way right <laughs> yeah go figure yeah <laughs> um it, it, and it is code like everywhere it is code. Well, I don't. I don't know if it's code here. I've never heard of it. Like oh. here, I've never heard of anybody saying that home needs a load calc before it can go in. Maybe on maybe on new builds, new construction homes, maybe now. But on but a, a re and a re and re, I've never heard anybody bring that up. So you're you're in Ontario, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. If you go to Toronto, like yeah, you're not touching it without a load calculation. Really? Okay. Item. All right. Yep. Quick break, guys. JV Warranties offers warranty outside the OEM warranty. They have a 14-day turnaround on claims, labor reimbursement, and also they work with a ton of partners in the industry. If you're interested in providing this service for your customer, check out JB Warranties. Company Cam is another platform that's cloud-based that allows you to organize your job info in, in one place instead of sending emails and texts that sort of get lost in, in, in the chain of things. You can create a job name and land all of the images, notes, videos, GPS time stamped all in one place. So if you ever have to go back and check on it, it's all there. It's all there in one place. There's no looking for it. 
So company cam has developed this platform to keep contractors organized. So check it out if you're looking for some organizational tools. So Testo guys, they're, they're smart probes. It's, it's a, almost like a revolution in the, in the digital age of things when it comes to analysis of refrigeration and air conditioning equipment is using smart probes because they are more accurate. They're more efficient. All of the numbers link up to, um, the immobile app, right? The Testo smart app, and you can, you can create reports and you can see things in real time. And I understand there's a lot of analog gauge users out there that are very comfortable with them, but trust me when it comes to the digital side of things, it's far more efficient and far more accurate than a set of analog gauges. So check out Testo smart probes. If you guys want to get into the digital stuff, the other thing that I was going to talk about is the Navac battery powered NTE uh, 11L. This is a battery powered tubing expander or otherwise known as a, a swaging tool. It is new. It, it just hit the market recently and it's part of their break free series of tools. So check that out as well. Refrigeration Technologies is, is a company that was grown as a family business with a HVAC tech and chemist that wanted to help the industry out. And it started with big blue soap and it has evolved into things like Viper wet rag, Nylog, um, all of the coil cleaners that you guys use in the, in the small concentrated packs, the Viper packs. This company has blown up over the last couple of years. And the reason for it is because they are a family run business with, uh, with the quality in mind. And because an HVAC tech is the CEO and he's a chemist that just speaks volumes to the industry. So check out refrigeration technologies as well. And, it, and it's the same. So it's the same thing up there as it is everywhere else. It's on the books and it's not enforced. When, when I teach a class, one of the things I often say about the code is don't ask me questions about the code. I stopped learning what the code was a long time ago um, in a granular specific way. Uh, Cause I was spending a whole lot of hours and we got 50 states down here, all of them with a different set of rules. Like some states, you, the rules change by County. It's nuts. Um, and I was trying to learn at least the ones that I was going to the most, what the, what the rules were. Um, and as people started to ask the questions about what the code required, I would give the answer that I had, you know, taught myself or learned. And then somebody in the class would contradict me and not being a jerk about it, but this is what my inspector says. And, somebody else would agree. Yeah, no, this is, this is how they interpret that here. And this is, and I eventually came to the realization that all codes are local codes, right? All codes are, and, and this is not supposed to be how it works, folks. I'm not defending it, but the code is whatever they're enforcing that day, right? Do you have any, do you have any areas have it on the books that you have to do a blower door test for a new construction home? Do you have any areas actually enforce that? Right. Yeah, it depends. A, depends a, on the mood of the. Depends on the mood of the inspector too. If he's in a bad mood, <laughs> yep. guess yeah. what? You, you're you're getting you're getting all your codes enforced that day. Did you? Yep. Did you tick him off? Did you tell him how to do his job? That's a great way to get all the you know get all the red tags. I I uh, got a actually <laughs> funny story that you that you said that I got pulled over the other day for speeding and uh, I argued with <laughs> I argued with the police officer. Cause I was, I wasn't in a good mood. I rolled down the window and I'm like, he's like, I, I pulled you over cause you were going, this is in kilometers an hour. So I That's pulled right. you over cause you're going 116. Um, and I, it was in an 80 and I'm like, well, 
officer, I said, this road, if, if you, if you haven't noticed, this is like the, the natural speed. This is how, this is the, this is the flow of traffic. I said, I was taught to go the flow of traffic. That's what I was doing. And he comes back and he, he gives, he's like, here's your ticket, sir. I'm like, and I look at it and it still says 116. I'm like, you didn't even drop it for me. <laughs> and he, and he walks away. So, cause I argued with him, he gave me the full, the full fine. If I just said, sorry, sure. officer, bow down. He might've, he might've <laughs> reduced it a little bit, but yeah, it's the same with the inspectors. You argue with them and get in front of their ego, then guess what? Perhaps you, you're going to get in trouble. Yeah. And, and inspectors are definitely like snowflakes. I've been in, I've been speaking of being in trouble. I've been in trouble by making blanket statements about inspectors because think about it. Everybody in this industry has an inspector story and it's never about how cool their inspector is right? It's the, it's the, the squeaky wheel is, is getting all the attention here. Right. Um, so, but yeah, the, it, it, you can certainly run into, uh, a, a lot of issues, particularly when pride is on the line, but a lot of times it's, it's money. It's, it's budgetary, right? How am I going to go out and verify blower door tests on all of these homes when there's one guy in the whole damned County owes a blower door and we're not sure he knows how to use it. I mean, like there are, <laughs> yeah. um, and, and okay, let's be fair. That's, that's more of a state of affairs from 10 years ago, but, um, it, it is still, you know, some, sometimes the, uh, the, the, the local authorities are making necessary adjustments, right? Um, I'm not saying it's always a bad thing. Uh, but yeah, you'll find just about everywhere you go, retrofit or new construction, residential or commercial, you're replacing a piece of equipment. You need to do a load calculation on the code, right? Whether they ask for the paperwork before you get the permit or not, whole nother animal. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, that is the standard by which, um, in, in the U S, uh, it's actually an ANSI standard. Um, that's, uh, that stands for the American national standards Institute. Um, and in a previous life, a very long time ago, uh, I ran, uh, the research, uh, department, right. I was, it was one guy, right. I was the research department, so I didn't run anything. Um, but I was the research department or a researcher for, uh, a, a law firm that specialized in liability cases. Now we didn't do, uh, um, anything having to do with air quality or, or HVAC. So there was, there was no way that I crossed paths with you in a, in a previous life, uh, unless you dealt with, uh, home security issues. Uh, but the first thing every new case asked the researcher to do was look up all relevant ANSI standards to, uh, the, if somebody kicked the door in, what's the ANSI standard for, uh, the type of lock set that you use. What's the ANSI standard for how far the throw of the deadbolt is into the door? Is there an ANSI standard for how, how well reinforced it needs to be? Uh, but like there's, and if you can show that they fail to meet the ANSI standard liable, right? What? It's like the, it's the, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's standards for a reason, yeah. right? Um, you know, you rent an apartment to somebody that, that somebody could, uh, could, could blow the door open with a, with a stiff, you know, uh, exhale. Um, you know, maybe you should be on the hook for that. <laughs> um, but that is the first part of the process is did they follow the minimum standards? Cause that's what ANSI standards are, by the way. It's not like it's, you know, things that don't meet the ANSI standard are generally unreasonable things. Right. Um, but you do get caught out on stuff and, Doing a load calculation is, is one of them. <laughs> yeah. I, I tend to I actually tend to try to stay away from that 
particular way of convincing people to do load calcs. Um, I'm more carrot than stick, right? I don't, I, you know what, who cares what, what's required, right? Um, how about the, the, the thing your daddy taught you, which is if you can't afford to do it, uh, uh, can't afford to do it right. You can't afford to do it over. Yeah. Like, there you go. Are you the company who stands behind their work? And when something goes wrong, goes out there and fixes, fixes it. And if it's your fault, is it on your dime? Cause if you're that company, you should start doing a better job. <laughs> so, right? so let me ask you this question then. So if, if somebody wants to change out a system, but mm-hmm. they don't know how to do a load calc and it, they wanted to hire a, a design company or, or along the lines of, of that, what, on a, on average, what would they get charged to, to do a load calc oh. for, from your experience? Would it be In, like very much money at all or is it big bucks or what? It's, it's, it's way all over the map. Is it? Right. Yeah. It's way all over the map. Um, I, all right, let me phrase it this way because I don't like speaking for, um, other companies, especially when they're sort of customers, right? Now at this point they're former customers, but they're also, um, probably will be customers again. Uh, because companies that do this kind of stuff get, get training from me. Um, but to put it, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to rephrase it a little bit. So I feel a little more comfortable with it. Um, I got myself some insurance to be able to provide designs to people. Um, I did it because I I wasn't sure what the demand for training was going to be and whether or not it would, you know, pay the bills basically and thought, there's a huge demand for people to do load calcs. And if I needed to, I could hang on a shingle and, and, and do them for people. But I kind of wanted to be near the most expensive, right? Because it's not really what I want to do. Um, yeah. But if somebody wants to hire the guy taught every, ta- that taught everybody how to do this, to do this, I'm going to charge you for just a load calculation, a room by room load calculation. I would charge you 200 bucks up to 2,500 square feet. That's not bad. Um, that's that's like that's, that's, like that's just the load calc. That's without uh, equipment selection. I I would charge you two twenty five for that, right? An extra twenty five bucks because equipment selection is actually the part where the technical skill. It's the part where the software doesn't do all of the heavy lifting for you all of the time. Um, in in general, uh, and it doesn't have to be my my former company software. I mean, it's uh, um. When, when you're doing a load calc, most of the most of the heavy lifting is done by whatever program you're using, unless you're scratching it out by hand. Okay, um, so I, I just got I, I may have got confused there for a minute, and <laughs> maybe somebody else did too. When, you, when yeah. you said that, so if you do the load calc and you know the heat loss and the heat gain, um, equipment selection <laughs> at that point at that point what what is required to to pick it except I mean beyond <clears throat> already knowing what the the, the heat input an output is all right so we're we're going to consider this the teaser for our next episode because because this is a whole conversation right um i'm literally before we we started recording this the thing that i was doing i was sitting in front of my computer here writing an article that uh shoot i don't even remember what publication i'm sending this to uh the title <laughs> of, i'm no joke i've 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 forgotten um <laughs> i have it in an email somewhere uh, the title of which is there's no such thing as a ton. Uh, do you know how many BTUs are in a ton? The answer is 286,000, right? Okay. Because a ton is not an official measurement of diddly squat unless it's 
weight, right? So, you know, a metric ton is a, you know, a, a, a thousand kilograms, a, a, a imperial ton is 2000 pounds. That's it. End of story. We say that a, a ton of air conditioning is 12,000 BTUs because the cooling systems we had that predate refrigerant based cooling systems were ice melting systems. Mm -hmm. No kidding. And when you melt one ton of ice, it absorbs uh, 286,000 BTUs. So if you melt a ton of ice over the course of a day, you take 286,000 BTUs, you divide by the 24 hours in a day, you get about 12,000. Way back when, right, when Willis Carrier and Dave Lennox, actual people who walk the earth, by the way, in, was, were in, quote unquote inventing, um, who invented the air conditioner is a, a contentious uh, subject. So let's just go with somebody invented the air conditioner around that time um, and started commercially selling the product. They were selling it to people who up until that point, uh, mostly to like industrial processes and certainly commercial uh, uh, things, very few, you know, residential buildings and it would be mansions and very rich people. Um, but they were selling to people, to engineers who previously were sizing uh, cooling systems by how many tons of ice you needed a day. And so they wanted to be able to speak the same language uh, uh, to their, to their potential customers. And so they just had this equivalence of, well, this is equivalent to one ton a day. This is equivalent to two tons a day and so on. Um, when you talk about the refrigerants, so like when you melt ice, you could melt it in the middle of the room you're in, or you could melt it on the surface of the sun. It's always going to consume the same amount of heat to melt that ice. doesn't matter where it is. Think about the refrigerant cycle, right? Think about this. So. I have, I have sort of this theory that is um, when they teach you design in the trades, in the, in the, in, in HVAC trade in particular, they are very often teaching crappy rules of thumb. When they teach you service, there is no, any halfway decent training needs to teach you how things work, right? Like how they actually work, right? So if you're trying to evaluate something you learned about design, try running it through the service side of your brain and see if it makes sense. Because when you hook up that set of gauges and you want to determine you know, what's happening there, you have to take the ambient temperature into account. You have to take the return air temperature into account. You have to take the return air humidity or enthalpy or wet bulb or whatever it is into account to determine what's happening there because all of those things affect the refrigerant cycle. You do not always get the same number of BTUs out of an air conditioner in every situation, far from it, right? If I am using an air conditioner in Houston, Texas, where it's crazy humid inside and super hot outside, um, well, not super hot, but very hot outside. Um, my, three ton air conditioner might only be worth 30,000 BTUs. Go to Phoenix, Arizona, where it's insanely hot and really dry. Try 25,000 BTUs or 26,000 BTUs. Um, you know, and it, it, in Canada, if you're going to have a, a, a very cool uh, a temperature uh, as your outdoor design temperature, and they've rated these things with a 95 degree outdoor temperature and your temperature difference is half that. Um, 
and uh, an 80 degree return air with a 67 degree wet bulb, which is way too high for a normal running system, you're going to find that the performance is significantly different. And when you start to look at the temperature control needs versus, sorry, when you start to look at the temperature control needs versus the moisture removal needs, then you start talking about like actual serious differences between two systems that are both called three ton. Right. Hmm, interesting. Um, and yeah. And as, as fruitful a topic as that is, it is a rabbit hole and a half, right? If I, what a lot of people do with BTUs when they're done with a load is they add the numbers up, right? Loads always have two numbers, don't they? Sensible and latent cooling loads, right? Why do they do that? Why would they give you two numbers if you were supposed to add them together and use that as one number? They're separate for a reason because you need to use those things separately. <laughs> they are two different jobs and you have to be careful that you're doing them both correctly. Um, so yeah, the equipment selection process is often way more than people bargain for, uh, in terms of, you know, how to do it right. Um, when you're well, talking you made, about, load you, you, you made it sound like we got to be a rocket scientist. To that so, um, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what HVAC system design requires light engineering. It's not something anybody can't handle. Right. There's actually some mm -hmm. pretty simple, there's actually some pretty simple rules for it. But you're going to be you're going to be teaching this with your with your new company. You're going to be teaching people absolutely. how to do this, right? A absolutely. absolutely. Well, well we're all wiping our the sweat from our brow now because we, we got to learn. <laughs> so um, I, I do um, I, I do come at you like a Gatling gun sometimes uh, because when my job is to pitch the case that you actually need to pay attention, do this stuff. Right. When it's, when we're starting from a position of like, do I even need to do this? Uh, I get a little intense with like the, yes. Oh my God, here's all the reasons why. Um, and there are a lot of things to consider. Um, and then realistically speaking, there are things that have like, there are things you can mess up that will have huge, potentially disastrous negative consequences. And there are things that you can mess up that you could have done better and probably should have done better. But homeowners, as much as we think of them as giant pains in the neck, don't, many of them don't actually know what it's like to live in a building that's as comfortable as it should be. So their baseline for comparison is all terrible. Yeah. Um, and so you often get, I, I, I try to operate on the assumption that a contractor that's been in business for, for, for several years and takes pride in their work. And I find that most do, um, is, is not doing anything intentionally wrong, right? They're doing what they've learned over the years is, is, is right. And one of the best teachers of what's right is customer complaints. And so you start doing things in such a way that your customers aren't complaining. You you're doing a good job. Well, you're not doing a bad job, but the customers aren't complaining. Mm, that's not a particularly high bar, right? That <laughs> yeah, customer is, no. yeah, right? No <laughs> like it's, it's not a particularly high bar. Yes. You've had customers. I know who 
were taking those digital readings in the room as far away from the thermostat as possible and complaining that it was two degrees different, right? We know those guys exist. I'm not talking about those guys. I'm talking about on average in general, right? My customer isn't complaining, isn't exactly a high bar. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, th there is a lot more to it than a lot of people realize and a lot of people teach. Um, and it is possible to sort of address these things in sort of order of importance, right? I would, I'd worry about loads first, because if you don't know what the building needs, how are you going to deliver it? Right. That's why you focus on load calculations first. But once you know what the building needs, well, how do I best deliver that is the next big question. And that, like I said, we seriously, we want, you want to talk about that for 45 minutes. Easy. No problem. <laughs> Yeah, um, I think I think we're I think we're gonna have to do a series of podcasts on this because I think we're just we we've just started warming up and we've already gone for forty minutes. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> cut a bunch of this out. I was probably <laughs> rambling nonsense. No, 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 no. It's no, it's it's all good. It's all good conversation. And the fact that you're passionate about that about this whole topic is is really refreshing to me because uh, I, I just actually wrote down what you <laughs> what you just said. My customer is not complaining is not exactly a high bar. And I'm going to use that. <laughs> I'm going to use that one in a meme, I think. And, <laughs> Go for and, it. and I'll, and I'll give you credit for it. In, give, in, give, in, yeah. In, give me a little credit. Now I'll, I'll be, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, anyway, so <laughs> I mean, you, you've, you've proven your point here that equipment selection is, is very important. Um, so, so these things you're going to offer, you're going to offer classes on uh, load calcs, or you're going to do it for somebody if they ask you for a couple hundred bucks. Um, and then you said 225 for equipment selection. Something yeah, like so that. If, that you want, if you wanted a manual jet, like this isn't, I don't want this to turn into ad for my services. Cause frankly, I actually don't even really want to be doing design. Well, it's, it's not um, even just that. I'm just trying to figure it out for the, oh, the contract for, like, you, okay. for the contractor to price it into their job. Like if, if they need to, like, I know it's going to be another almost $500 more than what maybe the competitor is, but what you can do, I think what you can do in this point is you can say, Hey, listen, we've included a load calculation in this. If you don't want the load calc, you don't want the equipment selection sign here and I'll remove that cost. But the onus is on you. If something happens, if, if you're not yeah. comfortable in your, in your own home afterwards. And this is the, this is a conversation that, uh, like I said, in, in various circles that we, we both sort of run in, um, where I have pretty heated arguments with people I very much respect. Um, I, first of all, I'm of the opinion that that particular disclaimer is worthless. Um, you think so? If you, yeah. If you if you if you find yourself in court because you did a bad job and said we told them it's a bad, you are the expert. That homeowner is not expected to know um, that this was a bad thing to do. You are the expert. I'm paying you to be an expert. Even if, if you write expert, it in the work, even if you write it in the work order, say yeah, you're supposed to do this, Mister Homeowner, yep. and they sign it. So if I signed, um, well, I just quit my job. So I did a little bit of research on this. If I signed a non-compete that said uh, I could never say the words load calculation again for the rest of my natural life, a court, even if I signed the document, a court's going to throw that out the instant they tried to sue me for doing it, right? Because it's not a reasonable expectation. Contracts have a standard of meeting a reasonable expectation. 
and it is my opinion. I am not a lawyer, right? We're on the internet. I'm not a lawyer, right? You have to say that. It's like a requirement. Um, <laughs> I'm not like INAL, right? Yeah. Um, you want actual legal advice? Go talk to a lawyer. But um, what I know generally about it is that contracts have to meet a standard of being reasonable. And I personally don't think that expecting a homeowner to understand the consequences of do, doing X, Y, or Z, not properly engineering an HVAC system, which they should know nothing about, is actually going to stand up to the the, the reasonableness test. Right? It is very likely. Um, <clears throat> it is something that a, a lawyer friend once told me um, uh, about disclaimers in general. Most disclaimers are not worth the paper they're printed on. What the disclaimer often is actually like there are tons of companies that will ask you to sign a disclaimer. Or, uh, or, or, or lots of different agreements to get you to think you can't sue them, right? There's a ton of that going on, right? So like, no, I've signed stuff like this all the time, Alex. I got in 10 examples. Sure. Have you ever sued anybody with them, uh, you know, uh, and try to get past them? Because you might find a lot of them are like going through tissue paper, right? Um, <clears throat> and so I am not a fan of knowingly doing uh, subpar work right now. The, I'm not suggesting by the way, um, that that is what my counterpart who is not here to sort of represent that, that stance is actually suggesting, um, they are suggesting that, um, you know, they've had a, you know, whatever size equipment, whatever size system there for X number of years, and that, you know, you're giving them a similar uh, experience by sizing like for like. That is, let's, let's put that on the list. When we have that conversation about equipment selection, I will, I will deeper dive into this statement. But I am of the opinion that there is no such thing as like for like, right? One of my favorite um, analogies is... Uh, Many of your listeners are probably very mechanically inclined. And if you've ever opened the hood on a you know, muscle car, a pickup truck, uh, something built in the 70s or, or earlier, it's a thing of beauty, right? It's this big empty space, first of all, right? It's not a million things all piled on top of each other. Everything's got its own belt. I mean, you could literally, if you were mechanically inclined, you could literally just kind of look at the different pieces and figure out what they're for. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And <clears throat> you compare that to what you see when you look under the hood of a, of a modern vehicle. I mean, there, there's some vehicles they put covers over it so you can't see anything. Right. I mean, serpentine belt, forget it. You used to be able to fix a, 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 a belt with a pair of pantyhose, right? You just tie it around there and limp the thing home from where you broke down. If you tried to do that with a serpentine belt, you wouldn't have a whole lot of luck. Things over time are engineered differently, right? When, when the uh, government or the people who run the company or whoever kick in the door of the engineer's office and say, we need you to make this 30% more efficient. What the, what the, what the bean counters are going to say along with that is, and by the way, don't make it any more expensive, right? 
And the engineer is sitting there going, oh, gee, why didn't we think of that? 30, 30% more efficient and no more expensive? We should have been doing that all along. Like, it's ridiculous, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so as much as you guys are out in the field cursing the engineer for putting that board in a place where water can drip on it, right? Or whatever stupid design element they've introduced, you know, this week. A lot of those things are um, concessions to making it better, but also somehow making it cheaper. Right? I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you one thing that doesn't make it better and cheaper is a billion screws in one panel that you got to <laughs> you got to remove to open the damn thing and put back. Uh, <laughs> that happens. That happens a lot. I it happened to me today. I'm like. Why is there like 20 screws in this panel? It does not make any sense logically. Here's a, here's a thought. I'm not a materials expert, but um, it may be so they can use a cheaper cover material, right? I know you, you Maybe. would, it, it, if, you, if you secure it with four points and it's flimsy as hell, it'll torque and tweak and warp. And if you secure it at, you know, 10 points and it's flimsy as hell, it might be secured. By the way, no idea. That was like off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. But those are the kinds of um, sort of unintended consequences of having to re-engineer everything for efficiency, emissions, whatever whatever the regulation of the day is, uh, or just keeping up with the, the other companies out there while also tr controlling costs you know, that not literally making it cheaper, but making it preventing the cost from rising. Um, one of the things uh, that you lose in that process, it, again, in my opinion, um, my, my father used to, um, he wasn't an engineer. He just managed a team of engineers. And um, one of the things that, you know, engineers ask them what, ask an engineer what's two plus two, they'll tell you a four, but let's call it five to be safe. Okay. <laughs> yeah. engineers are very big on wiggle room yeah right? um they're very big on slack they're very big on like something not needing to be crazy precise in order to work well in order to create a product that does that it it, it costs you something right if you if you want to widen the range of effectiveness of anything you, it's that's that's going to be that's that's going to cost you something if you want to uh, do the same job, do it better and not um, uh, not make it more expensive, one of the things they can do is sort of narrow the range that it works in, right? Wh what am I talking about? I'm talking about um, coils used to be a lot colder, a lot faster. You oversize them a little bit, underducted them by a long ways. And what happened is you got a dehumidifier that does some cooling and everybody was happy and comfortable. And modern 410A systems, uh, you try that stuff and it doesn't work, right? The coil doesn't get that cold. If it, if it takes forever to do so, it's not actually really about temperature. It's about time. It takes forever to do so. Um, and, you know, uh, it is easier to freeze uh, if, you, if you starve it for air. Uh, because the coil fins are so tight together now, right? Um, and there's a whole bunch of reasons why it's cheaper to do it that way, but it is, it's cheaper to do it that way. And so modern systems are less forgiving. They actually spend on, 
people have done studies and you know it's true that there are still plenty of systems out there that do a pretty good job of this and there are still plenty of systems and there were plenty of systems before that did a bad job of it but in general as seer ratings have increased uh sensible heat ratios have increased with them which is to say modern air conditioners remove less moisture per run cycle on average all the time and so a system that was working in those circumstances um you replace it with a exactly like the old one that is not at all exactly like the old one different refrigerant different size coil different size condenser different everything we just call it three tons still it's going to perform differently and comfort could suffer right look at furnaces you're you're a furnace guy you're going to know this way better than i am but what would happen if you had a 80% furnace, right? Old 80% furnace too, right? From the, from the early nineties or late eighties, that was a hundred thousand BTUs oversized. Not a hell of a lot. It's short cycle. Sure. Right. But I mean, in terms of like the homeowner having a problem, right? A, a cracking heat exchanger or, uh, um, uh, tripping limits or some of the things that, that would definitely happen with a newer, uh, uh, system. It's possible you wouldn't run into some of that stuff, right? You replace something that was, was already oversized by a hundred thousand BTUs. Uh, you replace it with a modern, you know, 96% furnace. Again, limits are getting tighter, right? Um, that system, 10 years ago, you, you probably would have had a rotted heat exchanger because it would short, short cycle so much that you wouldn't get rid of all the combustion gases in the heat exchanger and, and the acidic water would rot the thing right out. Now they've got safety features to prevent that. So what it's, what's it going to do? It's either going to lock out or it's going to run for a lot longer than it needs to and overheat the space and make your customer uncomfortable. But it's the same thing as what they had before. No, it's not. So that's why equipment selection is so important. Is because of all of this. Yep. Yeah. And it starts with the load. Because if you don't know what the building needs, how do you deliver it? <clears throat> right? Oh, of course. Of course. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and 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 you can take it one step further. And we had a, a pre-discussion about this during the week about blower door tests and um and how they can how they can help out a little bit. So what is what is your opinion on implementing one of those before a load calc? Oh, I I love you can't fix what you can't measure. Some business guru uh, from the 80s or 90s said that a long time ago. You can't fix what you can't measure. Uh, it was about the importance of metrics in you know running a company, but it works everywhere. It's very true. You can't fix what you can't measure. And the two biggest guesses, the two things that are the hardest to measure in a load calculation are infiltration and duct leakage because air is invisible and sneaky, right? It does not need a whole lot of space to move through and you can't see it doing that. Now, there are things that happen when there is excessive infiltration. Um, you will find uh, uh, awkward questions to, of the homeowner can, can answer this stuff. Homes that have a lot of infiltration are dustier. Homes that have a lot of infiltration have more cobwebs. Homes that have a lot of infiltration, if you go into the uh, uh, attic, you um, will often see lots of discoloration in the insulation, should they have it. 
and you know, most buildings do not all uh because can, can you uh, explain the dustier thing sorry man i just i homes that have more infiltration are dustier why is that just, you have more air so there's particles in the air they yeah. settle on surfaces yeah. and that's yeah. dust right mm-hmm. The more air that comes through the house, bringing its dirty little particles with it, the more that dust, those dust particles settle and the faster dust will accumulate. I see. So it's not okay. that it's necessarily a dustier house. They may be attentive uh, housekeepers who uh, are dusting regularly. And so, you you know, but you have to dust more or you will get more dust accumulation. Right. It's like uh, it's the same thing with filters. Right, a, a, a home that has higher rates of infiltration will will go through filters faster. Right? You, you know, you, you know what where the thing was there. I read something that actually made a lot of sense to what you just said. Um, but I was thinking about infiltration. It's it's bringing more fresh air sort of into the home. But I, when you said that, it reminded me of something. I read this article, and I can't remember whose article it was. It's it's, it's defeating me right now. Just like you can't remember the publication you're yeah. writing your article for. But it was it was a building. Um, it was fine during the day. It was clean, and when the the occupants would come back, and the the employees or whatever would come back in the the next day, there'd be this black soot all over the um, all over the desks. And what was happening is that the building system was shutting down at nighttime. It was going into setback, so it was sh- it was shutting down. And while the system it was running. Covering. But while it, no, it wasn't even that. It was while the the system was on. It was pressurizing the building. Uh. When, it, when it was off, they found out that um, because there was a subway station underneath, the dust from the subway station was coming up through the gaps, different gaps in the building, and it was it was coming up and it was landing on the on the desks and stuff. But during the day, the building's pressurized and it keeps it out. So I see as soon as you said that, it kind of clicked for me when I read that that this infiltration because the building um, is non-pressurized anymore, was coming up from the subway station and that dust was, was being gathered. So yeah, it ma- makes a lot of sense. So, yeah. And so you can, and you'll see dust in, like I said, in insulation fibers in the, in, in the attic. Um, you will see it sometimes uh, uh, if you have wall to wall carpeting on exterior walls, uh, the, the carpet fibers will, will catch a lot of dirt and dust that's being mm-hmm. sucked through mm-hmm. uh, the sill plate. Um, a good one up north. I mean, I live in I live in Massachusetts. We're almost at the same latitude here. Uh, is you go down to the basement, and turn all the lights off, and just look for daylight. <laughs> yeah, that's a, good, that's a good easy one. Yeah, because uh, there almost always is. Uh, and if you think about the things I'm talking about, I'm talking about looking for freaking spider webs here, man. This is voodoo, right? Like this is <laughs> this is not the most precise stuff. This is not what you would call engineering it will get you just barely in the ballpark. And actually in, in, in one of the things I think um, uh, these types of indicators are worst at is when a house is bad, quantifying how bad is it becomes very difficult, right? Um, it's pretty easy to tell a leaky house from a not very leaky house. It is really difficult to tell a leaky house from a very leaky house, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, uh, you know, enter blower door tests, right? Enter a thing that lets me quantify, uh, exactly how much, well, how reach out to Steven Rogers sometime and, uh, get him talking about 
the 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 accuracy of of blower door tests. They are the most accurate thing we have access to. They're not exactly uh, uh, super accurate. <laughs> they're the best we've got, um, and they're very effective for the purposes of HVAC. They're just not uh, uh, not as hyper precise as some people think. And there's good ways and bad ways to do a test, uh, or good ways and better ways to do a test. I, I, I might say. Um, but you take this, this giant guess and can, and you can start to quantify it. Now, this is something that I'm very pro, uh, uh, charging for, for obvious reasons, right? This is above and beyond the call of duty kind of stuff. Um, this is not just the cost of doing business. Blower doors are expensive. It takes time to prepare the house for such a test. And there's value in and of itself to the homeowner. Um, you know, knowing, being able to quantify how leaky their house is, uh, is like one of the first steps to, um, having a recipe or a plan to make your home more energy efficient. It's, it's one of the first things most energy raters do, uh, in those situations exactly for that reason. Um, but it's, it, I am of the opinion that you can do a load calculation, uh, without a blower door test to a point, right? You have to acknowledge that you know, investigating the house is giving you very squishy right, uh, uh, numbers in terms of accuracy. Uh, you, you are falling into some pretty big buckets. Uh, and you also uh, probably want to acknowledge that there is a line at which a house is sort of suspiciously leaky. And by the way, I'm not someone who thinks you should never take into account the size of the existing system, right? If I've got lots of evidence, the house is very leaky, and they've got a 200,000 BTU furnace, and I calculated it in the load calculation method, whether that's F280 in Canada or, or manual J in the US, and it comes up and says it only needs 100,000, and I set it for the leakiest thing I could. Well, there's such a thing as leakier than that, right? I once had somebody in a class say that they were just at a job and there was a hole in the ceiling. How do we calculate that? I said, you don't. You patch the hole. Right, <laughs> but there is such a thing as yeah. being leakier than what we consider the leakiest allowable number in a load calc, and when you know having a system that's a hundred thousand BTUs oversized might be evidence of that. That's where I'm going to start asking the homeowner, like, you know, how hot is the air coming out of that vent, right? Or you know, because the unit's probably dead, but if it isn't, um, maybe maybe I you know uh, uh well. No, I guess you'd have to be winter time and you'd have to run. It'd be a whole thing. Um, but asking questions about runtime and asking questions about how hot the outlet temperatures are could start to give me like, oh, it runs all the time. And, you know, it's actually not that hot coming out of the vent. All right. Well, that's an indication that this thing might actually be properly sized. And this leaky house might be on the really leaky end beyond the lines in the manuals. And maybe I should do a blower door test on this home and highly recommend it. And, you know, there's a lot of salesmanship in that. And then, and then you fall into this. The homeowner doesn't have the money for it. They still want you to replace the system. Do you go like for like? That's a gut check, right? Code says I got to do a load calc. I suspect that the house is leakier than the code gives me an option for. Now you got to use your, 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 um, your judgment, right? But I don't blindly trust, you know, anything. It's trust but verify, right? I don't, you know, they have a 200,000 BTU. That does not mean it works. That does not mean it's properly sized, mm -hmm. right? It means, you know, it, it didn't, you know, it didn't break down in the however long they've had it. That's all that means. 
so we <laughs> we were supposed to our our plan here was to do load calcs from start to finish. We haven't even yeah. gotten to that that part yet. <laughs> we, we, we 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 st- we this is a this so this podcast will be called an introduction to load calcs. Yeah, maybe. Um, and 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 why equipment selection is important. So what I what I think we should do is once you get um one once this one goes goes mm-hmm. live, we'll we'll get you back on and we'll do this discussion on the process of a load calculation. And um, we'll talk more about what you're up to um, on your own after you left uh, WriteSoft. And we'll talk about WriteSoft a little bit too, because I know there's a lot of people interested in that software. So, Yeah, and um, I'll, I'll give you a couple of, of parting thoughts here. Uh, and and for, for next time, I'll, uh, uh, I'll assemble some thoughts so we can, we can stay on topic. Uh, a little bit, a little bit easier, but, um, the, one of the, one of the questions that you were getting at and I was being a little evasive just because it varies by so much is, you know, how much does it cost to, to get a load calculation done? Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's right soft or any of the other approved, uh, uh, software offerings out there from the, you know, free Excel spreadsheet that the ACCA has in the U S I don't know if HRI has an equivalent, uh, all the way up to, you know, WriteSoft, the, you know, sort of Cadillac of, of design software. Um, it's almost always going to be cheaper to get, you know, get, get a decent uh, uh, piece of design software and learn how to use it. Um, oh, for sure. hundred you know, like percent it would it, be, yeah. You know, e- even if, even if, you know, some were only charging a hundred bucks for uh, one of these calculations, you know, uh, a, a subscription to, uh, Rightsoft software plus some training might cost you eight or nine hundred bucks all in, right? Um, and that's and and that's with that's with training, that's with like taking the classes and all that. Um, uh, it, you know, just getting the software, I think the subscription price starts at like four hundred. Um, and actually, that's more car than you need just for load calcs and equipment selection. That's with duct design and all the other stuff. Um, so, uh, and and anybody can do this, right? Uh, I, I ramble and I rant about, you know, how, how much more complex it is than we're, than we're taught. And that's true, but they have very good tools out there to make this accessible for all of us. Um, and it's not just, you know, it's not just uh, third party software. Your manufacturers often have uh, tools on the website, not for load calcs, but for determining real equipment performance, right? There's a, is it, it's a huge pain in the butt, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes you go to the, you know, uh, do you have any, manufacturer sponsors should i name check somebody because <laughs> um but you go to, you go to their website and there'll be a tool on there that lets you plug some numbers in and it'll just tell you here, here's here's what these capacities are it'll have nothing to do with that ahri number that they give you it'll be completely different in a lot of cases but they have a tool out there for it um you know i'm here telling you that it's harder than rule of thumb and ahri numbers but when it comes to actually doing it it is is closer to hand and more more in your reach than than you think. Cool. So we'll leave it we'll leave it with that tonight, Very Alex, good. and then um, we'll get back together for sure, and we'll talk some more about load calcs and right soft. But I appreciate your time, man. I, I I really do, and great conversation. Thank you very much, man. It's nice talking to you. Wow. Okay. So that was a rabbit hole and a half, right? And, and I think maybe a couple of you went hmm. Maybe I shouldn't be licking my thumb, stick it in the air and sizing equipment that way. I think some of you are starting to sort of wake up to the idea that maybe this is the right way to do it. 
Okay, I understand that maybe in every case it won't happen, but if if you got that customer that's willing to do things the right way, this is the right way to do it. Just it, it just genuinely is the correct way to do it. And then that way, if there is problems down the road, you have this load calc to show that you that you went um, above and beyond most other contractors, right? So anyway, thank you, Alex. That was an awesome conversation. Thanks once again to the Master Group. I'm out. Happy HVACing. Hope you enjoyed the show. Follow HVAC Know It All on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else Gary feels like popping up. This has been a Two Smokes and a Coffee production.